PSD2, the revised payment service directive, which takes effect in Europe this year, will forever change banking. Why? Because it opens digital banking platforms up to players outside the traditional banking space, and the benefits and risks are obvious. So how will so-called banking as a service, application programming interfaces, and fintech players help and hinder the financial fraud fight? I'm joined today by Daniel Cohen, head of RSA's Fraud and Risk Intelligence product suite, who offers his take on what open banking will mean for banking of the future. Hi, I'm Tracy Kitten of Information Security Media Group. So, Daniel, it's so nice to have you join us today. It's been a while since you and I have spoken, so I'm going to take full advantage of the time that we have here this morning. As I mentioned in the introduction, PSD2 is taking effect. And before we jump into some of this fraud prevention discussion, could you just give our audience a quick overview of PSD2, especially for those in the U.S. who might not quite be so familiar? Sure. And and hi, Tracy, and and thanks for having me on the show. So PSD2 um, is regulation that's coming out in the European Union, uh, the Payment Service Directive version two, that really, you know, when we consider banks as a service and and the future of banking, the the key takeaway from PSD2 is the fact that, you know, regulators are now driving banks, pushing banks to open up their internal banking systems to third-party players. And as you mentioned, you know, in most cases, those will be through API. In Europe, it came out in early January. There's, a, there's give or take, uh, a year or so before, you know, the stick comes out uh, in the form of regulatory fines. Um, but that's, you know, again, considering, you know, banking is a service, the key takeaway is that the regulator is now pushing the banks into opening up APIs and becoming you know, that service to third-party vendors. So, Daniel, let's just expand there a bit. Okay, I know that you're saying that regulators are now basically forcing banks to open up their systems to third-party players, but aren't a lot of banking institutions already opening up their systems to third-party players? I mean, how much of an impact is this really going to have? That's a great question. And, And when we look at the world, you know, if you take a global perspective, then sure, you know, in the U.S., we see the leading banks um, already opening up APIs and offering uh, developers, you know, third-party developers, platforms, uh, and, and and APIs to connect to the banking system, and, and on top of that, offer you know unique services to their uh, users. But across the world, we're, we're still not seeing banks uh, completely embrace you know this future. Um, in my conversations, you know, for example, with uh, regulators in the Asia Pacific region and Japan, the banks are not yet moving uh, rapidly into opening up APIs, but we do see the regulators offering guidance and recommendation, if you will, uh, to financial institutions to start opening up APIs. Um, and then, as we mentioned at the beginning of the call, you know, the European regulator is already, uh, you know, pushing it into law um, and requiring banks to open up uh, those APIs. So, so it varies globally. Um, very much dependent on, you know, the consumer landscape and the consumer demand for digital services, but it is happening across the world slowly. Okay, so let's go back to some of the discussion um, as it relates to U.S. financial institutions specifically. As you mentioned, Daniel, a lot of U.S. banking institutions are opening themselves up or have opened themselves up to third-party platforms. So I guess what would be the lesson here? What should U.S. financial institutions in particular be interested in or paying attention to as it relates to PSD2? So I think that um, if you you ask a banking CEO today, you know, what is the number one item at the top of her agenda? I'm I'm guessing the answer is going to be making the bank digital. Um, and taking the bank, you know, to the next level uh, of digital banking, which, you know, translates into bank as a service. And, and there are lots of different buzzwords used, you know, in this space, bank as a platform, bank as a service, 
you know, we threw out a couple of PSD2 API, um, but at the top of the agenda and, and from a strategic play, you know, banks are being pushed um, by, by several, you know, trends taking place in the market are being pushed to become more digital, provide, you know, more efficient um, user-friendly services. Um, and that's, you know, what's driving this change across the world. That sounds like a great segue to talk about fraud. But before we get to that, I want to go back to something that I mentioned in the introduction and you've just touched on it. And that is banking as a service. And it really is just what it sounds like, Daniel. It's digital banking that's available on demand. So like software as a service or even crimeware as a service, BAS or banking as a service makes banking services and features available through plug and play applications. And as we also kind of touched on briefly, this is where some of the benefits are, right? So with APIs as the building blocks for apps, particularly in the mobile space, this is opening the door for more fintech. Now, let's talk about what this means from a traditional financial services perspective. Are banking institutions falling behind? Are they too late to the game? Or again, do you see some geographical differences here where maybe in the U.S. where there have been some partnerships with some of these fintech companies, they're going to be ahead of the game? You know, when, when we look at the, at the industry and the evolution of the industry, and, and the question is, you know, are, are banks late? I, I don't think they're late yet, but they definitely need to wake up and start moving. Um, and again, you know, let's consider, you know, some, some of the megatrends that are impacting and, and, and pushing this change to take place. So first, you have obviously the digital consumer, um, and I recently read uh, one of Bank of America's um, CIOs, the client-facing technology CIO, who said that customers today are not benchmarking the bank against another bank, they're benchmarking the bank against technology companies like Amazon and Uber. Um, so the digital consumer is, is driving demand for digital services. Um, you then have you know, all these fintechs that we mentioned as well, that are actually rising up to that challenge, you know, the demand created by consumers and also, you know, creating these interesting, cool, innovative ways to interact with, you know, with the money. Um, and coming back to our CEO, our banking CEO, you know, she's now under a lot of pressure, consumer demand, you know, competition from fintechs. And then, you know, we spoke about the regulator now opening up or, or pushing banks to open up uh, the APIs. So three very significant changes, uh, you know, megatrends that are taking shape in the market and are driving this change. Um, and the last one is obviously the Internet of Things. And, and with the Internet of Things in mind, we're now seeing these things become more um, autonomous, if you will, with regard to our, our finances. So these things are connecting to our bank accounts um, and we're entering this era of, I guess, human not present transactions when things are going to be making um, these decisions for us. So coming back to your question, I don't think banks are late. I mean, if they haven't started on their digital journey, then they, they really need to wake up tomorrow and start moving. But, you know, the, the world is moving very, very quickly. And definitely banks should start embracing the whole notion of uh, digital banking and banking as a service, because that is, you know, the only way for them to survive in, in you know, Tomorrowland, um, in the banking world of tomorrow. So, Daniel, let's go back to some of the fraud discussion then. Let, let's bring fraud into the fold here. Is opening up the door to more fintech players a good thing? And I'm, I'm kind of positioning this within the context of if we have this plug and play functionality, what, comes, what kind of risks is that going to pose? So that's a terrific question. And, and, you know, fraud close to my heart. And I think when, you know, when you look in at the future, you know, we gaze into the future and we consider everything we spoke about. So obviously, you know, banks are now going to be opening up, you know, new ways, new channels and businesses to allow, you know, their customers to connect. Um, 
and again, you know, developing this this uh, ecosystem of third parties um, that you know offer those efficient services to the consumers is going to become you know key in the in the bank as a service strategy. Um, and so all these new channels and services are going to be creating a lot of convenience for consumers. And we know that convenience drives transaction volume. Um, you know, we see from the history when banking was physical and branch based, there were very little transactions. Um, when telebanking came around, that made it more convenient. So I transacted more. Uh, web and mobile drove transaction volumes even higher, make, you know, making it more convenient for me to transact. And now with, you know, the bank as a service and this ecosystem that you mentioned, I'm going to be transacting a lot more with my bank account because it's just become so easy, so convenient, and there's so many services for me to, uh, to interact with. And that's kind of going to drive um, two significant challenges, you know, with fraud in mind. The first um, is obviously trust. How do we now trust this, you know, this digital entity that could be connecting from, you know, many, many different places? It could be my car that's connecting on my behalf. It could be anything. Um, so trust in, in the identity is going to become a challenge. And then second, you know, more from an operational perspective, you know, if we're predicting that transaction volumes are going to grow, um, then obviously fraud cases, and, and I'm talking in real numbers, are also going to grow significantly. And then, you know, there's a question of the whole operational cost of, you know, how do we and manage and mitigate the fraud that the bank is suffering. So the trust discussion is an interesting one, Daniel, and I don't want to take us down a rabbit hole that could lead to a, a whole second podcast here. But it sounds like authentication, and perhaps um, when I say authentication, I'm, I'm saying of the user as well as of the transaction, and perhaps even the device that's being used to initiate or conduct that transaction is going to play a big role here or a bigger role. It, it is. I completely agree, and I think you know the you know one of the takeaways from uh, from a, you know the Gartner Identity Summit in Las Vegas earlier this year was that authentication on its own is not going to be enough. To create that trust, and it'll have to be more of a corroboration play. So we're going to have to obviously look at credentials, look at biometric stuff, everything that can affirm an identity. But we'll also have to look at you know the negatives. What reduces trust in in the identity, and that'll need me a play more for fraud detection tools, anomaly detection, transaction you know analysis, risk-based analysis, and together. Um, that'll be the only way, you know, in this new world to start trusting these, these digital entities and allowing them to transact. So it's going to be a, you know, a very wide play concerning, you know, both the fields of identity authentication, as well as gaining that, you know, very holistic overview of what is that entity and how is that entity transacting with the bank? And is this transaction that's coming through now from, you know, this new API-based uh, channel and is this transaction legitimate or not? Daniel, let's go back to talk about some of the regulatory discussion. And, you know, as you've, you've explained very well, um, you know, as it relates to what's happening in Europe right now, this is something that the regulators are pushing. But I wonder, you know, with all this change and the possible entry of all of these new players and platforms, and then again, now we're talking about um, a whole new set of challenges when it comes to authenticating the users and the transaction and establishing trust, which is going to necessitate the need for additional fraud detection tools, anomaly detection, risk-based analysis. Is this going to be too much for the regulators to keep up with? I don't think so. I mean, you know, regulators in general, they, they provide guidance, they provide guidelines, you know, a frame, if you will, that then has to be you know, the details of the picture 
then have to be filled in by, you know, the industry, you know, be it both the consuming side, the financial institutions, as well as, you know, the security vendors. So, I mean, you know, with regard to PSD2, uh, we do see the regulator trying to lay a little bit more detail with regard to what, you know, what is strong consumer authentication and when can you use, you know, risk-based authentication as opposed to not using risk-based authentication or more a rules-based uh, method. So we do see the regulator, you know, providing a little more guidance, but I think in general, the regulator is going to look to the industry to, you know, fill in the gaps. So, they'll, you know, they'll provide the, the framework and then, you know, we, all of us in the industry together will define, you know, what it actually means to operate in this new world. And that will be a, a good place for us to close, Daniel. So as a closing thought, then, could you share with us what your take is on how will the industry fill some of these gaps? Will it be more collaboration between financial institutions and vendors and, and some of these emerging fintech players? Um, is it going to be heightened regulation? Is it going to be a combination of, of the two? It'll definitely be a combination. I mean, you know, we're going to see the regulators. And don't forget, I mean, the regulators are supposedly working for the consumer. They want to create, you know, more transparency and visibility into, you know, our financial. So, you know, as the regulator is pushing financial institutions to create that visibility and transparency, um, the industry is going to have to, you know, rise to the challenge and solve it. And so, yes, you know, um, I believe we are going to be seeing a lot more collaboration in the industry. That need to create, you know, a holistic risk profile um, that takes into account, you know, identity authentication as well as, you know, the behavior of that entity is going to be key. And part of that behavior will be, you know, a lot more sharing of information across financial institutions to better assess uh, the risk of fraud. Well, Daniel, as always, it's great to talk with you, and I'd like to thank you again for your time this morning. My pleasure, Tracy. Thanks for having me. We've just heard from Daniel Cohen of RSA. For Information Security Media Group, I'm Tracy Kitten. Thank you for listening.